You can get early access to the podcast episodes and watch them in full-on video at patreon.com slash Renee Ritchie or watchnebula.com slash Renee Ritchie. This is actually a story that I never told anyone, but I'll, okay, so this was crazy. My sister and I were out to dinner. This was like several years ago. And this woman was like crying and this guy was like screaming at her like saying some of the most just terrible things that i've ever heard someone say to a person and this is in public and i was like what do we do like should i say something and so i stood up and i just told him like maybe she would stop crying like if he would stop like yelling at her and so i said a few other things and then he like just stood up and like almost jumped over this booth and had some choice words to say about me and then threatened to kill me and knock my head off and all of this stuff. And then my sister just like slowly like grabbed a butter knife and we just stood up and we were like, what just happened? Justina Zarek, I Justine, is a phenomenon. Probably the most famous Apple-focused YouTuber on the planet. Certainly one of them. I first became familiar with her in 2007 when she posted a video showing the 300-some-odd-page bill AT&T sent her, itemizing every single text she'd sent from her brand-new iPhone. Well, I got my first AT&T bill. Right here. In a box. She was one, if not the very first person I met in the Apple community at my very first show, and she couldn't have been any kinder, more welcoming, or more gracious. What I've come to respect about her most, though, is that in an industry all too often jaded to the point of toxicity, Justine maintains this amazing optimism and sense of wonder that's just so totally inspiring. I thought I would try out this viewing angle. Let me see how this works. So you flip this over. Okay, so... Hmm. It's actually not bad at all. I mean, if you want to look ridiculous at a coffee shop, like this is what you could do. Like it's actually working. Year after year, video after video, from the latest in tech to her new instructional app on editing. Vlog University was just a little YouTube show that I made over 10 years ago. To her recent Animal Crossing streams. So all of us stuck at home have at least something fun to keep us occupied. I just wanted to know how she got started. Even all through like middle school, I was running like a daily random photo website. So for me, I was like 10 or 11, which now every kid's 10 and 11, they have a TikTok and a YouTube channel. But then nobody was doing this. I was coding like the HTML, like page by page, the archives, everything from from scratch. But I think doing the video, it was really fun because I feel like I had exhausted the, the photo route. So as soon as I started getting into the video, I was like, this is awesome. But it was hard because there wasn't websites to upload. I mean, YouTube was around... And I would just put everything everywhere. Yeah, so, I mean, it was there, but, like, the communities and kind of the understanding of, like, how to use it wasn't as, I guess, as it is today. And what was your workflow like? You just had to pull everything off a camera and then use some archaic version of iMovie or... Were you using some other sort of editor back then? I was using iMovie 06 for the longest time. But I also had started actually making YouTube videos to teach myself Final Cut. Because at the job that I was working at, I, I got this job editing Avid. And I had never touched Avid in my entire life. So when I got the job, the guy was like, we're desperate for a video editor. He's like, do you know how to use Avid? I was like, well, how hard can it be? I mean, I can edit in Premiere. Like, let's well, let's figure this out. So the first day I sat down <laughs> and I definitely, there was a, a big learning curve, but the stuff that we were editing was so simple that I could not understand why we were using this ridiculous, crazy setup. So then I started teaching myself Final Cut, 
putting myself in the videos just to have content to edit and then slowly just was trying to convert them over to to the Apple side. But Macworld had classes back then. I don't know how well known that is compared to the actual expo part and the and the keynote. Obviously, everyone knows the keynote, but if you stayed long enough, they had courses. And I remember taking, because my experience was with Video Toaster on the Amiga, and I had never mm-hmm. used a Mac to edit. And I took the Final Cut 7 course, and it was a mutual friend, Ripple Training, uh, doing the courses back then. And I learned so much, and I got back. But it, it was not Final Cut like today. It was a huge program. It cost like thousands of dollars, and it was a yeah. Real traditional editor. Yeah, and it had like those multiple CDs and DVDs that yeah. you had to like install. And I, I never had it. I didn't. I mean, I didn't have a job. Well, I mean, I had a job, but it was basically just the the DVDs that I had convinced my boss to buy. And so I was just using those. But then when I quit, I didn't have that license anymore. So then I started just using iMovie. And for all the simple stuff that I was doing, like yeah. I pushed iMovie 06 probably <laughs> way harder than I think anyone ever could have. But it's you like redlined these free, it. <laughs> yeah, but like these free programs, like iMovie, it's really just amazing what you can actually yeah. do with it. And then I remember when Randy Ubelos, who back then ran video for Apple, he went on this vacation and he was super angry. He couldn't just take his family footage, throw it into a program and edit it quickly, which is what the new version of iMovie, the new version of Final Cut is based on. And what did you think when they changed that whole paradigm like there was magnetic timelines all of a sudden and it wasn't the same traditional editing method anymore i think it was it was definitely a struggle to sort of relearn everything that i'd already known but i think because i had been using iMovie so much before they switched over to like the iMovie that it was before coming final cut i mean i was so used to that type of editing and i think i was doing a different style of editing than most people so i think for me it wasn't that crazy but i know a lot of people dropped off uh at that point but i i stuck through it and now when people are like how did you just drop all that footage right into there and it just worked i was like hey you guys left final cut but look what we can do now so it's it's definitely well worth it I remember I was hesitant at first, and I kept my old copy uh, for a long time. And then we were in New York filming with Luria Petrucci, and our editor wasn't there. He'd gone back to Montreal, and they said, well, you used to edit videos. You can do this three-camera shoot for us real quick, can't you? And I, I called the editor, and he goes, yeah, there's this thing called Multicam and Final Cut. Just do this, this, and this. And w- within five minutes, I knew what he was talking about. Within an hour, I had the video edited. And I just never in my life had I had an experience with an, with an editing program at all like that. And when did when was that? Ah, uh, twenty thirteen, I think. Man, I held out on not trying the multicam because I tried it originally when they first released it, and it was so buggy that I was like, I'm just not. I'm just gonna keep going and doing like layering everything on top of each other and like you know hiding different things for my multicam edits. And then finally, a few years ago, actually, Ripple Training, when we were working on my Final Cut course, they're like, just see, come, just give it another shot. And I did, and within just minutes, I mean, I. I picked it up so easily. I was like, I can't believe all the time that I've wasted. But multicam is incredible. I mean, it just syncs everything. I mean, if anybody else edits, they already they're already well aware of how great the multicam edit is. It was funny for me because I didn't use it a lot, but then I, I was at an event and I was doing an edit and I applied some changes and I realized that the clips in the timeline were not controlled by the main clip anymore. And I had to go through them one by one, take out what I'd done previously and add it. And one of the final cut team members were there, and, and, and he goes, you know, if you do a, either a multicam or a compound clip and then edit that instead, then anything you apply to the original will propagate throughout the whole. And I'm like, oh, my God. So that was the best tip I ever learned. 
Same. I just, my like final cut editing life just flashed before my eyes of how much time I've wasted, like copying and pasting over attributes, but oh gosh. Yeah. The compound clips. That's definitely a savior. (laughs) Some people say just use an adjustment layer, but there's things that you like, I can go in and mask something. Like if I forget to change something in the background or I forget to have the TV, I can go and mask things in the compound clip. And every other instance of that clip is, is just masked as well. Oh yeah, that's so great. And then just like editing the audio, like if you want to change that or just the colors, like everything. Like I'm definitely a big fan of the compound clips. <laughs> so when you go to make a video now, is there sort of a process you go through to think about what you're going to do for that video? And has that changed at all over the years? I think so, especially now, because I think people, they have a lot more questions about stuff. So it's like, I try to think in my mind, if I'm watching this video, what are the questions that I'm going to have? And I also notice sometimes that if I just start rambling off specs, like a lot of people, like there's, there's channels for that, for like getting a deep dive in the specs. And sometimes I feel like also my audience, I do have a very general audience as well as sort of the tech audience. So it's like, how do I hit all of these people and then not lose them by like rambling off a bunch of specs that really don't even make sense when they just want to know how it works. So I think it's just like, how do I make this video fun and just have a good time like making the video as well? Do you, do you sort of know when a video is going to be popular or not? Or are you surprised when a video is, is either less popular than you thought or more popular than you thought it would be? I mean, YouTube is such a gamble that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> usually I, you don't really ever know. I mean, sometimes I'll have a general sense. Even I started posting just some Animal Crossing gameplay. Yeah. And I, I had a gaming channel years ago and then I stopped doing that. But I was very surprised that some of the videos were doing way better than I thought because I didn't think anybody really wanted to watch this. So I think that's... That was kind of surprising. And I mean, every day on YouTube is a surprise because you really don't ever have like a consistent idea of what's going to happen. So I think knowing that things are going to be inconsistent has helped me because you just don't really know what to expect. And it's amazing because some of the videos, I spend a really long time on them and then like almost nobody watches. And other ones I just do in the spur of the moment and everybody watches them. Yes, that definitely happens too, where I'm like, man, this video, I spent like 20 minutes just like talking yeah. and I quickly did an edit and like, oh, everybody wasn't supposed to see that one. Why don't you go watch the ones that I've spent tons of money and time on? Do you spend a lot of time, like if a video is not doing well, do you try to tweak things like tweak the title or tweak the thumbnail or do you kind of just let them go into the world and, and, and be themselves? If it's doing really terrible, maybe, but usually yeah. I'm just like, that's that's what it is. Although I feel like that is... Probably not the best YouTube way is you really should go in and try to tweak things. But at some point, after spending so much time on a video, like the last thing I want to do is see it again. <laughs> it's like yeah, out of sight, out of mind. One of the people I was working with previously is like he had like five thumbnails and like four different titles and would just sit there watching the minute by minute and like at, change the title, see if it goes up or down, change the thumbnail and try and figure out the best combination for all of those. And just the, the amount of stress I felt just hearing him talk about that process I'm sure it does help, but it it just felt like it was a lot. Is he still doing that? Yeah, I think so. Wow. (laughs) Because I was going to (laughs) say, I would have probably not been able to like maintain that for very long. But I think, again, I think there's different types of creators too. So if that's how you create and what works for you, then do it. But for me, like I can't sit and just look at analytics because it will just drive me crazy. And I just think about the time that I'm spending doing that. I could be starting another video. Yeah. 
Oh, and he was part of a team, too. And I think there are some teams that people have roles, like someone scripts things, someone shoots things, someone edits things, someone handles the YouTube thing. But I get a sense that you still do most most of the things yourself. Like, I know Tyler helps you shoot the videos, but you still do a lot yeah. of it yourself. I do, yeah. And he, I mean, he edits, I would say, probably like half of the videos now. Okay. And now, since we're doing more, I mean, I guess we both always worked from home, not from... <laughs> We just worked remotely. Uh, but now, like, for some reason, like, the internet has just been so slow because I feel like everybody is yeah. home. So now we've just been kind of tossing XMLs back and forth to each other. So he'll just send me, like, his either a rough edit or an almost completed video. And then I'll just import the XML and then just import the footage, relink everything, and then kind of finish the video and add different music or color. So... We definitely just kind of like tag team it at some point in some videos, like some of the Animal Crossing and stuff that's like, I've already have it on my computer. I'm just going to go and edit. So yeah, he definitely, I mean, has helped out a lot, but I don't know why I just can't get myself to get a team. I just don't know. I just can't do it. (laughs) I feel like I can't capture, I'm not good enough at capturing what I want to say on camera yet. And so I end up composing most of the story in the edit still and and i can't head head that off because it would be bad if someone else just edited what i shot oh i mean there are times where like i'm struggling with vo and i'll just like stick my head down and i'm like tyler i'm sorry (laughs) i know you're you're watching this right now (laughs) just just hold on a second so i think it's just finding somebody that kind of understands your flow and your style is so difficult so it's like once you kind of get that and even just like small little things like timing or like when to punch in yeah i mean he obviously doesn't hit that every single time but he kind of knows what i would probably like but that's why it's nice to kind of have that basically rough edit and then i can just go in and you know fix those little i just seen things to make it more what i would normally do it's almost like working with a music producer Yeah, for sure. But I definitely hear you on the the crafting it in the edit because it's, I think that's what also makes kind of like a good YouTube video is you can script it all you want, but you don't know what you're actually going to shoot until you start shooting. I'm like George Lucas's wife, but I'm also George Lucas. And that's like (laughs) (laughs) fixing myself in the edit every, every day. (laughs) So how's it been for you though now? Like with the, with kind of doing everything under your own brand? Uh, I like it. Like it, it was just basic things. Like I haven't made my own website in like ten years, and I had to figure out how to make a website again. Like thank God they don't oh, do PHP yeah. and stuff anymore. But I know I'm like okay, Wix. Who who wants to <laughs> who wants to do my website here? It's but yeah, I remember like WordPress was the thing. Like yeah. recoding like WordPress themes. Yeah, you yeah you had wow. to, and oh. you had to hack it all together. I used to, I started. I was writing HTML and Notepad, and that's how I did my first. And I'm doing Me uh, too. graphics and paintbrush and painter. <laughs> I remember whenever I think it was fireworks that I first yes. discovered, and oh my gosh, I, my parents like wouldn't buy this for me because it was obviously very expensive. I was probably in like middle school, but I would reset the computer every thirty days so that I could keep redoing those trial <laughs> offers. And then I oh wow, it's it's just insane to think that now they have like subscriptions to to things yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, well, my first. Uh, job like an enterprise was as a web developer and I was sitting in Dreamweaver and fireworks all day every day and I was just yes. maintaining a corporate website and it, it it was nowhere nearly as eventually I moved them to WordPress when that came out but in the mm-hmm. beginning it was just all these static files that Dreamweaver had to keep track of for you oh man Dreamweaver that the first time I opened that up I was like this is amazing it was like your whole life all that time that I had wasted just coding I was like I could just put this animated do you say gif or gif I think the G is silent. I'm going to stick with that so people don't yell at me. 
Okay, I'm just going to say GIF because I've been saying okay. it forever. So anyway, I, you know, put that animated GIF right into Dreamweaver. Oh, man, it's just, oh, wow. So one of the things I love most about your videos is just how positive and optimistic you are. And I try to be that way, too. And I think, I, I think in fact, I learned a lot of that from you. It's like when I see a new product, it's not what I hate about it or how it doesn't serve me, but like how I think it could be helpful to other people. But I noticed like on the Internet, especially over the last few years, there's been a real like cynicism is intelligence and negativity is honesty. And how do you keep up sort of that like your sense of wonder at all this technology? Every video that you do, it's really inspiring. It's almost, I don't know. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. But it is, it's just, I always like stop and think of like little Justine, like as a child, like this is everything that I've always wanted to do that I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but just, you know, being able to have access to tech and be able to talk about it and just share that enthusiasm and also kind of be that role model for other girls, especially because there was nobody really doing anything that I liked like that I could look up to, like there were no girls playing video games. There weren't really girls coding. And I guess, you know, when I first discovered the internet, it was the first time that I had realized there were other people that liked Apple products. And I was like, wow, there's Mac forums and communities out there. So I think it's just, you know, trying to make videos when I'm, you know, most positive or upbeat. Cause I think people do see that a lot. But then there's like the days where I'm like, I really cannot shoot a video right now. I mean, there's definitely been days where Tyler has come over, we've started shooting and I was like, I was like, man, I'm just not in a good mood. Like, I, I don't think I can really do this video the, yeah. the best justice that it can. So I think it's like trying to maintain enthusiasm and also like the exhaustion levels of like, how, how does this all balance? But those are the things that like people don't see with creators. And I don't know, there's, it, they're like, but you just post videos. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot that goes into the behind the scenes of just one video. And I think also if you are energetic and you are you are cheerful, you're optimistic, people expect you to be that way all the time. And it makes it harder like when you're not – I've met some people, really famous people, and I've walked in the room and they've been sitting there with their head down, you know, totally inanimate. And then someone yells action and they just get up. And I, I even had a chance to interview someone really famous and I said, what do you want to talk about? And they said, I have no interest in talking about anything, but I will answer any question you pose to me. And then when, and then when the camera <laughs> rolled, they were like on fire they were dynamite but as soon as it was off they were just back to like don't i don't want to talk to anybody i don't want to be anything oh man i've had that reverse of interviewing someone no names mentioned yeah but they were so cool off camera and then like the camera was started rolling and we started like talking and asked him all the questions that i had just asked to prep and i couldn't he didn't say anything oh no i was like I was like, you're making me uh this is live this is a live show so this is what we're happening this is so it's like the other side of trying to maintain like that cool kind of attitude too. I was like, but you were just so cool before what happened? (laughs) I found that really hard to learn. Like I started doing podcasting, uh, I think 2008 with, with what became the I'm more show. And I was just on it. Dieter bone was hosting it at the time before he went to the verge. And then when he left, I had to, or I think he stopped because he was doing other podcasts. I had to learn to host it. And it was really different like, I never understood how much work someone like Leo Laporte did to make every show sound like it was the first time he heard the news and his expert knew so much more about it than he did. And you, and you have to learn those skills. And then I was on panels, and that was a whole other set of skills yeah. because you can't just say everything. You have to leave things for the other people on the panel. Well, you're that jerk who just spoke for a long time, <laughs> and they have nothing else. And it was just it was, everything was a completely new lesson every time. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it really is. And it's interesting to see all these lessons that we have learned over the course of however many years we've been doing this, like watching celebrities try to shoot things at yes. home by themselves, just simple things like lighting that you think would be like a, a normal thing that everyone should know. And like, don't hold a camera too low because <laughs> obviously it's just raise it up yeah. a little bit. So it's, it's just those things that are second nature to us, it's, it's not to other people because they've had everyone be able to do all of those things for them. So it's, it's just like this divide you can tell is just happening. It's like the YouTubers that have been doing this forever. And then the celebrities who are trying to become YouTubers, but it's, it's kind of endearing actually, because yes. you get to see these people for what they actually are. And they are just people just like all of us. And I wonder if they're leaning into that because you look at them and they're, it's, it's apparent they're just using an iPhone. Sometimes you even see them adjust the iPhone like in the middle of the Tonight Show or something. Yeah. And, but like you look at what the Today at Apple stuff at home has done and that's, they're shooting that at home and it's high level production. Or even you know, some of the other uh, – Neil Patel, when, he's, uh, when he did his, his more recent reviews, he was doing those at home and Becca was – telling him what to do over Zoom, like scotch down, move in, no too far, go back out. And they produced a really good looking video. And it's hard for me to believe that like the tonight, like any of the Jimmys on late night don't have yeah. access to those same resources. So I wonder if they're trying to make it seem even more homey than it would maybe otherwise be. Maybe. I'm not sure. I also watched um, the worst show I've ever seen, but I still watch all of it. Tiger King. Did, yeah. you, did you watch it? Okay. I didn't watch it. I watched the pitch meeting for it, which I thought gave me the, the gist. It's really, it's really sad. But either way, what I did enjoy is Joel McHale ended up hosting the last episode of it recently while everybody is still in lockdown. Yeah. So he said, yeah, we're, we're doing this in the pandemic. He's like, I, I thought that I would have like a big fancy camera and they sent me an iPhone. So it's, <laughs> it's just really fascinating that, that the iPhone is something that is good enough to be you know, a shot for a Netflix series. And it, you could tell, like, they sent, like, AirPods and probably an iPhone yeah. to, like, all of the, the people. And they're just like, plug these in to your ear and turn on the camera. <laughs> like, that's it. <laughs> well, yeah, you look at that. And then, like, for example, you see the, the cast of Hamilton did that wonderful drop-in Zoom meeting for that young fan who couldn't get to the show. Aww. And half of them have AirPods in and are talking to iPhones or other cameras. And then you see, like, Jonathan Morrison, who does an entire video on the selfie cam, and it looks amazing, like a yeah. really high-production video. So it, it's not just a tool, I think. It's, they're, they're not – they have – they have, like, iPhones, sure, but they're also not even used to using an iPhone, maybe? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is, but I've been kind of going down a rabbit hole now of just kind of looking at, like, other things. Well, since the iPad Pro came out, I've been using that in, like, a whole different way, I feel like, because okay. I obviously had an Air or an AirPod, oh gosh, an, an iPad before, but now I feel like I'm not really going anywhere, and yeah. so I'm using the iPad in just different ways of like actually just using it for email, actually using it for video editing. So I just did a test where I was like, can I actually do all of the things that Apple said that we can do in these commercials? Could I do a podcast? Could I edit an entire video? And so I ended up editing like a 14, 15 minute vlog on the iPad, all shot on the iPhone. And it was great because I could just import all of the footage from iCloud and it's just, I shoot it on my phone. It's already on the, the iPad. I was like, this is, this is great. Yeah. I'm into this. It's. I wish I could do it. My old partner and I, more Trinity Caldwell, before Apple stole her, she mm -hmm. went to film school. Like she was a classically trained film editor, great storyteller, and she would just sit there and do in the iPad in minutes what I couldn't do in Final Cut in days. And I still, I still feel like I need Final Cut. I've tried the iPad, and I know again, Jonathan edited on an iPod Touch, which is just. 
bonkers to me. But if you can do that kind of editing, it does seem like it's a whole different level of just being able to ta- like directly manipulate paint like a finger paint with your with your videos. It's cool, but now it has mouse support, so I was yeah. able to use like the trackpad. And in LumaFusion, you can also export the XML and export that entire library. Like it'll zip everything, all of the files, all of the, just everything. And you can just set it, like airdrop it to your computer and open it in Final Cut. So it's like having that rough edit already sort of done on your iPad. Man, I'm like, I'm so into the iPad. Like 2020 iPad hype is so real. (laughs) The other thing that was interesting to me, because I follow you on TikTok and I watch all of your videos there and I saw some of the other videos and like there are like people like Charlie, I'm going to say her name wrong, Charlie D'Amelio, D'Amelio, something like that. 40 million followers and a lot of the videos like just shot in a room, her bed is messy, bathroom door is open, 30 million views and it's a completely different vibe. Like it, never mind what they're doing on the Tonight Show, but like yeah. there's not the like the concern for production that there even is on YouTube or, or anything. I think that's why I've been so into TikTok because it's just refreshing. Like it doesn't even matter. And I mean, it's, it's just really cool to see. I, I guess just... Anybody can kind of get an audience there very quickly because their hashtags are so just, it's basically telling you what to create yeah. under. But yeah, TikTok is really fun. But the, the some of the video quality is really terrible. But it's like you don't even care because most of the, the content is so short. It's like 15 seconds. You just kind of laugh and move on. Do you think what we do now is going to, like, because, you know, there was the newspapers and the magazines and then there was the blogs and now there's YouTube. Do you think what we do now is going to migrate there and at some point in two years, like, all, all the hottest new iPhone content will be on TikTok, you know, and then maybe YouTube and blogs? Yeah, probably. I think it's already happening a little bit, just sort of, well, I mean, it happens, like, on Twitter because it's just so easy to, like, get that content out. Yeah. But then even some different events and stuff, like, I would just do, like, a quick live stream, like, on YouTube. So it's going to be hard because there's so many platforms. I think it's just like picking and choosing which one works for you at the time. Because I try to post everywhere, but it's like when you're one person, you physically cannot post everything at the same time everywhere. And then again, like TikTok is a different type of content. So you kind of want to make it a little bit more entertaining. Like how can you make this something that's, you know, a 15 second piece that's not exactly what you're posting on YouTube? I, I... do have an Android phone, usually as my secondary phone, no matter what, just because like I want to be reviewing those as well, just to kind of keep an open mind. Is there Are there any walls that you still help, hit up against with an iPhone? Is there anything that you wish it did that it doesn't do yet and maybe you hope it does in the future? I mean, there's still always like, man, I would love to be able to just pop out storage. Like yeah. that would just be, but now I've been using the Narbox, which is really cool. Yeah. So I'm able to just shoot stuff on like a regular camera, use the SD card, pop that into the Narbox, and then that kind of, I could just import that footage. So that's also been a really cool new thing that I've been trying out to also just edit stuff on the iPad. Man, there's just so much tech. It's just, <laughs> it's really, it's just overwhelming. For me, it's the it's still the low light on video because the pro, even though the processes are crazy and they can do li- almost limitless stacking for still photos, they can't do that yet for for videos, especially higher frame rate videos. So they can't they can't compensate for the low light as much as they can otherwise. And also, there's no depth. They have they have better depth of field now. The cameras are getting better, but there's yeah. no real depth of field if you want to use that for storytelling or just your background is terrible and you want to blur it out. Yeah, that the low light still, you're right. It's such a struggle. And even in doing like the ultra wide too, if there's low yeah. light, it's even worse. But it's still, it's like, I, it still just works. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, totally. You recently came out to the world as a jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner. 
Yes, that was the most nerve wracking day, I think probably of my entire life. I was like telling like my biggest secret that I've kept for two years and not told anybody other than, well, all of my real life friends know because they couldn't <laughs> get me to shut up about it. But yeah, it's just, it's been so fun. And it was great because like, I had no idea that you trained either. Yeah. So it was like, this is cool. I can have people to talk to about it. And I found out a lot of other people that trained that I would have never had any idea about. I started doing judo as a kid and then I did karate and then I did Wing Chun. Mm-hmm. And my friend Georgia, uh, who I'd been training with, said, I want to do ground fighting because the you know UFC had happened and the Gracies came out. And instead of sending like their golden warrior, Hicks and Gracie, who just he looks like a comic book superhero, they sent yeah. the skinniest, smallest one of their family in there to just mop the floors with everybody. So she was like, I want that. And we started training in it. Uh, at, Luckily, there was a school because everybody was importing Gracie's at that point. If you were a mm-hmm. Gracie, someone was going to import you into the local area yeah. and get a school going. So we started training. How did you hear about it or, or get into it? I So I'm a Tool fan. Okay. And so I would remember all through high school, like Maynard, the, the lead singer of Tool, just like talking about jujitsu and how mentally it was so great and how, you know, just all these things. And so it always like was in the back of my mind. I was like, I wonder what this jujitsu thing is because... I had no martial arts background at all. I mean, I played like softball, volleyball. So I was somewhat athletic all through like high school and college. And then this is actually a story that I never told anyone, but I'll, okay. So this was crazy. My sister and I were out to dinner. This was like several years ago. And this woman was like crying. And this guy was like screaming at her, like saying some of the most just terrible things that I've ever heard someone say to a person. And this is in public. And I was like, what do we do? Like, should I say something? And so I stood up and I just told him, like, maybe she would stop crying. Like, if he would stop, like, yelling at her. And so I said a few other things. And then he, like, just stood up and, like, almost jumped over this booth and had some choice words to say about me and then threatened to kill me and knock my head off and all of this stuff. And then my sister just, like, slowly, like, grabbed a butter knife and we just stood up and we were like what just happened. So thankfully other people in the restaurant came and like got everything taken care of, but it was in the back of my mind at that point, several years ago, I was like, I'm in very terrible shape. Like I physically, mentally, I was like, I could have done nothing and I wouldn't even know what to do. And so I was like, okay, I need to really just like actually start getting in shape. And so I just started like working out. And then I saw this building that was just going up close to um, like some coffee shops that I usually go to. And I was like, okay, what is this? And it turned out it was a jujitsu gym. And I thought it was going to be a cool coffee shop. So I was so excited. I was <laughs> like, this is great. So basically I just walked into the gym, found out that it was Kenny Florian's gym. Yeah. And he's Jason legit. Hunt, who was also, uh, he also does judo and he's, yeah. um, they have a judo program as well. I knew nothing. I didn't, I mean, I was didn't know anything about Kenny, didn't know anything about anything. And I just walked in and said, Hey, can I, can I try this? And I was like, so I took a private class with Kenny. And so I trained with him mostly with doing like a bunch of private classes. Cause at the beginning I knew absolutely nothing. Yeah. And I was also afraid of getting hurt. So, um, slowly I kind of worked out of doing private classes, did some of the group classes and just, he's such an incredible instructor because it's, he's very thoughtful in everything. Like if he tells you to do something, like there's a reason behind it. So it's like all of those small little details always make such a huge difference. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I really just walked into the gym one day and was sick of being weak. <laughs> no. And it's like we talked about before, like hosting and being a guest and being a panelist are different skills. 
applying jujitsu and teaching it, coaching it are really different skills. Like I've, I've trained with world champions who would just say, okay, here's a, a 48 move sequence, uh, open guard sweep. And you'd spend an hour learning that and you couldn't do anything with it. And then I trained with someone like Eddie Bravo and he'd be like a drill instructor. He's like, move one, move one, move one, move two, move. Two. And I think that's, that's the sort of person that you want to spend time with. Not someone who is a champion, but someone who can make, even not a champions, but they can make anybody really good with it. For sure. And it's like, there's reasons behind like why you're doing what you're doing. So it's like when I first started, I mean, I just, I like, I don't have any photos. I have no video. I have nothing from this whole time of, of starting to train, but like, I wish that I did because I knew nothing. And it was the most like humbling experience to like walk into just a gym and know no one. They didn't know who you were. And it was, I think that was also really great because I was so used to just kind of being in the space that I'm in and knowing everything there is about video production and knowing everything about what I'm doing. So being able to like go completely out of my comfort zone was really a struggle. Like that first year of like injuries and just trying to like make friends and like try to find yeah. somebody to train with. Like it's, it was a huge learning experience, not only just in jujitsu, but I think like in life in general. So it's, it's, I've learned so much and I miss it so, so oh, much. Yeah, no, absolutely. The thing with me is like, it's such a good workout because if you're on a treadmill or a rowing machine and you get tired, you can stop. If you're rolling and you, you start to slow down, they're going to take your, your neck or take your arm. And that's a, and there's the pride part of it, but there's also like, ah, it's kind of, it kind of hurts and it's annoying. So you don't want to stop yeah. and it really encourages you to keep going. For sure. And that's the kind of stuff that I need because it's like even group yoga classes and stuff. Like I have to go to those because if I'm just working out at home, like I'm tired, I'm done. (laughs) So it's like you, oh, you really are like essentially like fighting for your life. And I think starting my day doing that, I'm like, okay, well, if I just survived this, you know, hour, two hour class, like, okay, the rest of the day is going to be easy. But it was hard because towards the, the, like uh, leading up to finally getting my blue belt. I mean, I was training like maybe five or six times a week. Some days I would do like two classes a day. And it's like my whole life sort of revolved around when I was going to class or when I was going to train. So I would either start shooting later or I don't know. So it was just really great to have that kind of be like a core centerpiece. And now I don't know what to do. Uh, well, you got the grappling dummy. I mean, <laughs> I did. It's been. I'm using it to hold my iPad while I'm doing yoga. It's just not the same. Like you no. can still do drills, but I've yeah, been boards don't hit going, back. <laughs> no, they definitely don't. But I was going through and like finding different drills and videos from like just some various instructors on YouTube, and then I was re-editing yeah. their videos so that I could kind of just have sort of the highlights. But yeah, it's. I don't know. It's fun. So hopefully we'll be able to to get to train again have you been doing any like solo drills or anything yeah so my my secret is that whenever i would go to macworld so i had a coach locally but i really there used to be a there might still be there was a forum called the underground which was a big ufc Mm -hmm. forum back in the day and they had different um it it was like reddit before reddit existed and they one of their subs was this guy named michael jen who did uh does jen really jiu-jitsu he learned from joe morera and joe is amazing like he's been doing it since he was a little kid judo black belt brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt I've seen him just roll through world champions, but he has wow. no idea how to teach what he knows, like zero mm-hmm. idea. You could ask him, how did you do that? He has not a clue. So Michael spent like five years just stop. How did you do that? Stop, like breaking down everything that he does. And, and, it, and it just clicked for me because he taught it like not like a series of moves, but like grammar. Mm-hmm. And once I understood it, I could make up my own moves. But he was in um, 
in in South Bay. So whenever I would go to Macworld or WDC or an Apple event, I would stay an extra week at his place and just oh, train so with fun. him private. And he taught out of his garage, so every night there'd be a class. And the way he taught was there was never, like, he, you, you did private lessons, and then during the group classes, you only rolled. And he would stand there, and whenever you made a mistake, he would fix you. So everything was live coaching. And that really clicked for me because I have a terrible memory for, mm-hmm. for like just movement sequences. But if you fix me, I can feel what the fix is. And his system was like really different. And I spent like three years just doing pin escapes. And mm-hmm. it was all based on the bench press, like just pushing, making sure people's weight would never get on you. And there's a bunch of drills from that that look like crunches. The mechanics are really different. But it's things like mm-hmm. crunching and clearing your head or crunching and pushing somebody off or crunching and rolling them just so you can feel where their body weight is. And, t- and I've been doing a ton of stuff like that because it's not I've I've had enough injuries that I have to be careful with like certain angles yeah. with like knees and ankles and things like that but a, a lot of them are just I find them really really like they're almost like a weird perversion of, of calisthenics mm-hmm. where you can take like a basic move and make it a jiu-jitsu move and yeah. I miss the grappling but I've been doing a ton of those I know I need to just get back to it. I'm like making excuses, but I do have one of the Peloton treadmills. So I've just been like focusing on running now, which trying to like build up endurance that way. But it's like, you still, I still can yeah. be doing it. It's just, uh. we do have zoom live classes though. So I've been kind of participating in some of those, but it's just so strange because you can like scroll through and see everybody else <laughs> in their geese and try to do all the workouts and, and drills and stuff. But that's so cool that you stayed an extra week at Macworld. I think that's one of the things that I've loved so much is being able to travel and just visit other gyms. I've met so many just incredible people and you learn so much from just like other professors and stuff. I was in Hawaii and I spent a good portion of like my time training out there because I was like, there's so many amazing people out here. I learned so much in a week. Like my family, they're like, are you going to class again? You could be out (laughs) on the beach. I was like, yeah, but this is, this is a vacation for me. And then we got back to LA and everything shut down (laughs) like the next day. Well, the good thing about that is you never like a lot of things can catch you by surprise. Like it's not that you're bad at it. You just you just you've never seen a certain setup or you've never seen a certain move, and you're not sure what it is. You're not sure what somebody's doing to you. And the more different people you train with, the more things you see, and it sort of fills up your mental database. So it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm feeling pressure on this side of the neck. He's setting up the arm bar. Oh, he's moving slightly down on my ribs. He's going for a you know he's he's going for a kimura. Or oh, he's not throwing a triangle. He's throwing an omoplata. Like you. Like, and I only started learning that when I felt different people do it. Uh, before mm-hmm. then, I was like, oh, what happened oh i'm on my back oh i'm tapping you know it's just like what even happened to me it's just crazy because i feel like that clicked fairly not too long ago actually where i was like everything just started making sense and i was like oh thankfully because it's just it's such a frustrating sport because you just are constantly being defeated like there have been classes yes. so many classes i just left like in tears so it's like i'm terrible i can't do anything it's and very go good for ego day. suppression very good oh, for, for sure. I, there is. If you have an ego, you're not going to last long. <laughs> and I'm lucky. My best friend is a Gracie Baja black belt. He got his black belt at Gracie Baja like two two years ago, and he's just so good at all of this stuff. And the people there are really. I, there's like there's a different level of respect in jujitsu than I've had in other martial arts because. They, everyone in jiu-jitsu knows where everybody stands because you roll. You can't hide anything. Mm-hmm. But, and other martial arts, people are like, oh, you know, I can't do anything. I'm too deadly. I would kill you with a single touch. And then they're, like, they're kind of jerks, but they never have yeah. to prove anything. And there's, like, there's no ego because everybody knows how good everybody else is. That gets completely out of the way. And then everyone is just chill. True. I'm like, there's some girls I'm like, oh, man, I dread just like having to roll. Because I'm like, I know you're going to just destroy me. But it's always like a good thing because... 
I feel like you were saying before, kind of like the live training aspect. Yes. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of that too. Like I'm always, I ask so many questions. Like if I get to roll with a higher belt, I'll be like, I know something will be happening. And I'm just like, what could I have done in that move to, to sort of yeah. counteract that? So, I mean, I'm constantly asking questions. Like it's probably to the point that it's annoying, but I feel like that's the only way I'm going to learn anything. And it's the closest thing to a real life video game. I think that we will have until there are holodecks. So I basically had stopped playing video games when I started jujitsu because it was like my time that I normally would be playing video games. I went to jujitsu instead. So now <laughs> I'm not, I have a hundred, I think over 150 hours of animal crossing that I've played like this past several weeks. So it's, it's yeah. so much like a real life video game. Cause there's just so many different things that you have to think about. And it's like mental and physical and just emotional. Like it hits basically everything. Do you plan on doing like both gi and no gi? Do you plan on getting into some MMA just so you can mix some like striking with grappling or some judo? Um, I know. So Jenna, definitely not a big fan of, of like the grappling aspect, but I know she likes more of the striking stuff. So I think we might actually try to do some of that while we're here stuck in quarantine. But I think I do want to try no gi just because I feel like in most situations, that's where you're going to find yourself. Yeah. But I'm such a huge spider guard fan. I like, Oh, I love, but like my, my knuckles are slowly, they're coming back to normal. Now the calluses are going away. (laughs) So, but yeah, I love like spider guard. Well, you have like, you have things to grip in real life. Like you can grab people's Mm -hmm. jackets and pants and things, but I just find like no gi because it's so slippery when people are sweaty, it takes so much more effort and you have to be so much Mm -hmm. more precise that it, it builds, a different set of of capabilities yeah so i definitely want to kind of get into that i haven't yet but i feel like um kind of work my way into that like once i have sort of that good jujitsu base because i mean coming into this i knew nothing at all like it's shocking to see like how far i've come because i really knew nothing (laughs) (laughs) then you'll be pulling like shooting star sweeps and people will be flying all around you oh it's so great you can find justine as i justine pretty much everywhere YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and now even TikTok. Just look for her by name. Thanks for watching and keep it locked to the podcast feed for more interviews. And remember, you can get early access to these podcast episodes and watch them in full-on video via patreon.com slash Renee Ritchie or watchnebula.com slash Renee Ritchie. Early access Patreon members also get to see scripts for most of the daily shows before they're even shot, as well as Discord, where we chat about Apple, gear, workflows, and more. And there are even ways to get your name in the description of every video or the credits. So if you want to be more involved in this community and contribute directly to the creation of these videos in future projects, check out patreon.com slash Renee Ritchie. And thanks, sincerely, for your support. None of this would be possible without you.